and welcome to the Ganatantra podcast. I am Sarayu Natarajan and I am Alok Prasanna Kumar. And welcome to this week's episode which is the season ender for season 2. What we hope to discuss in this episode is uh to talk a little bit about what we've uh, explored in this season in the context of COVID-19. And part of the reason we've come here to do a season ender episode is because we as Ganatantra and Alok jump in here is for us to be able to take some time off uh, to think about where we want to take this podcast uh, and raise a few questions uh, to ourselves uh, about what we should be interrogating as ganatantra in the seasons to come yeah that's right sarayu and i think uh, this is the 30th episode of uh, the season and uh, we started in september of last year which might as well have been a decade ago uh, it feels like so long ago and so far back in time that i can barely remember it in the midst of time i remember we started recording this in the ivm uh, studios uh, with uh, dr gopal guru and uh, smitana dr smitana dr smitana saikya who joined us in the studio and uh, we uh, it, it it just feels like so so long ago but no i think we have done about this is the 30th episode of the season and i think we have covered and as we had planned we have covered for those of you who want to be here back our first episode of the season Uh, we've covered almost all the ground that uh, we intended to and uh, as as we were just talking about it um i think it has given us a lot of insights that we sort of want to leave our listeners with you know in in light of what we are seeing happening in covid and during the covid-19 crisis and maybe a way to make sense of what might happen in the coming days Yes indeed and we want to pick up on the themes that we've talked about this season which is marginality and marginalization institutions and state union relations which is federalism uh, to understand a little bit more about how these factors influence our understanding of covid and how the situation plays out uh, so thinking about marginalization i think what has been made apparent over the last few days uh, particularly post the lockdown has been how important it is to think about marginalized communities in imagining any kind of uh, major country level initiative uh, whether it is something like a lockdown or something like demonetization which happened in 2016 especially given what we've learned over the course of the episodes i particularly recall uh, dr chinmay tumbe's episode uh, where he talked about migrants and the impact upon them of large scale country wide efforts like this uh, migrants are a particularly fragile group of uh, of citizens of residents of this country uh, who you know many of them are internal migrants who come across state state borders or even within their own states dr tumbe explores it ex- excellently in his book who come across state borders in the hope of livelihood and and to do business and this is a community where the closure of sort of economic activity has a huge and significant impact and a lot of political movements have been based on the idea of uh, migrants and sons of the soil and related sort of issues but the idea of movement in the time of lockdown is a bit of a paradox and that uh, that exacerbates the impact on um, on migrant communities that's right and we mentioned this very briefly in our uh, episode uh, yes last week where we talked about the fact that the government didn't see these categories of people and that's really what marginalization means that the state doesn't see you in a certain way that the state does not address your needs in a certain way and the consequences of the lockdown i don't think will end when the lockdown is lifted i think what we will see is this play out in a very in, in a for a longer period of term than say whenever the lockdown ends but also and this is what 
from our listeners have to keep in mind the impact will be the same forever i mean that seems like a very trivial thing to say but keep in mind that this impact is not just about migrants or daily wage laborers there are other elements to this there are elements of social exclusion to this there are elements of discrimination to this that there will be those who will who because of community networks or privilege or background or whatever it is will feel will be able to be far more resilient about what happens after the lockdown is lifted but there will be those who are not and it's the duty of any modern state to be able to take into account the needs of those who are not and this includes of course groups women on the basis of caste tribal communities transgenders a whole range of uh, communities in india who have been marginalized in various ways and who uh, whose whose life experiences and whose background we sort of covered in the initial uh, few episodes absolutely and i think another important uh, segment of marginalized to think about are gig workers but particularly platform gig workers uh, we are talking about services like uh, uber ola Uh, other services like urban clap uh, which involve a mix of uh, service professionals from across the country as well as from across genders and to think about the impact of a lockdown on these communities is also vital alok and i i want to say in october again probably 10 years ago alok was uh, an episode that we did <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> was an episode that we did on uh, understanding the margins of work uh, particularly looking at the platform gig economy uh, and to think about uh, like alok said the impacts of a state decision and the responsibilities of a modern state uh, in this context is very very critical and to think about you know how much a lot of this service segment uh, services the aspirations of an elite an elite upper class and how there's been a complete breakdown in the provision of the services uh leading to sort of an interesting conundrum right which is that you have platform gig workers who are considered entrepreneurs who are not necessarily considered as part of any workforce in that sense uh, but yet providing an essential service so the need to recast them or imagine them as a public infrastructure uh, which aditi suri i don't know if you've seen the piece alok yes, uh, has done in a fan- yes. yeah has done in a fantastic piece in the hindu uh, we'll try and link it in the notes but uh, you know imagining this service professional group as a public infrastructure and what they can do to hold the economy and you know keep it going in some senses and so uh, so so to think about the lockdown as something that's abstracted from the social reality within which it operates uh, is a bit problematic and particularly of the social realities of marginalization and invisibilization that operate uh, it's critical to be uh, cognizant of that which is why you know one of the things that i noticed uh, and i'm looking for more information on that the expert committee that's been constituted at the central level to look at the covid-19 crisis does not i think have a social scientist uh and i think that that would be uh, very surprising yeah yeah that that would be surprising and there's not very much information about it except a couple of news articles so i hopefully i'm wrong about it but i think there's something there to think about why society and the way social structures and social conditions operate in the context of each other is critical uh, in thinking about uh, something like a lockdown that's right and that sort of also brings us to the point and the other half the other side of this equation is about institutions now we sort of covered a lot of wide ranging institutions at the central level largely but it also helps to think about state capacity let's see institutions as a way of how state capacity is exercised and how they are able to reach to the last person on the ground 
and this this ties in with the third part of our uh, series which is federalism uh, and in the sense that the government in india only reaches the ground because of the last two tiers of uh, a federal government your state and municipal and panchayat governments and we we are seeing this pattern and and maybe this will this will be borne out in a few weeks from now uh, once we have more complete data that states which have invested in good public health infrastructure that have that have improved their bureaucratic capacities that have institutions which can work on a certain basis of competence and efficiency and trust have been able to manage this crisis in a better way now that is at least as far as the health aspect is concerned because you know very initially about a, couple, a month or so ago we had this uh, discussion between ourselves that we are actually facing two crises right and a lot of people have written about this also there is a public health crisis and there is also an economic crisis coming our way and i think it's possible that, a, that the economic crisis will be much much more harder to address and resolve than just the public health issue and in a sense that we may be able to limit the number of deaths the number of cases and get the economy going but will we have an economy that will be uh, going in a few uh, weeks is an open question and i think that is where the strength of our institutions is really worth it yeah absolutely and i think that one thing to think about or rather a couple of things to keep in mind in the context of thinking about institutions uh, in the time of a crisis is a health crisis for example requires coordination from several departments so at least in bangalore there's the brahat bangalore mahanagarapalika which is the municipal corporation there is the state police there are departments of health and family welfare uh, that operate at the state level uh, and so there is a range of institutions beyond the center coordinating with the state it, uh, with the center coordinating with the state itself uh, so there's sort of a multifariousness about how many sort of institutions come into play in this context and so to think about how institutional capacity intersects with this need for coordination and this need for coming together and this is not and i think we did talk about uh, it in our issue on police uh, police reform uh, this is not to brush aside these concerns around police brutality that yeah, we've been hearing true. about that that is not what this is about at all uh, but rather the need for uh, different kinds of institutions to come together and how much as alok pointed out state capacity matters and you can see the differences in in that sense in state performances in state performance yeah. that have invested in urban infrastructure that have invested in uh, urban local governance in some sense thought about capacity at that level have so far uh, seem to have handle on the cases though the exponential curve uh, threatens to take over at any point of time so to think about institutions without thinking about state capacity is uh, really a, a problematic way to go ahead we've seen and it's actually quite it kind of interesting because we did a, uh, an episode on the judiciary and um, this is uh, and i know it sounds crazy to be saying this but we may have gotten some of our biggest strides in judicial reform during this covid crisis one of the things that has happened and uh, not, I, I only people in the know are sort of keeping track of this is that overnight our judiciary has moved to teleconference e hearings the use of the much much more widespread use of technology in ca- ca- conducting their day to day business and also some sort of sensible causeless management uh, I, I, they they did try it initially in the supreme court uh, but i think what is also coming to coming to the fore is our judiciary understanding there are certain urgent cases that we need to address and there are certain less than urgent cases we need to address and we may because of the large scale release of under trial prisoners and this may just be a temporary measure 
we may have gotten some measure of criminal justice reform also again remains to be seen whether these gains will be built upon and there's of course much 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 more to be done but somehow solutions which were dismissed solutions which were seen as ah no impractical not possible too difficult why should we and all of that are being put into effect in the midst of a crisis and there is there is a sense and other judges are saying oh this works yes of course there are glitches yes there are problems but oh this works uh, you know the important cases are being heard through teleconferencing uh, there is of course a need to improve technology the court is cognizant of it but it is now more about working out the modalities rather than taking the yeah. first step of putting that infrastructure into place and it may be that if 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 the lessons are learned correctly uh, a crisis may have been actually not wasted for a change in this country absolutely i mean there's obviously quite a need for uh, testing many of these things out further in terms of their implications on outcomes in terms of their implications on the system etc uh, but having said that this might be the this could have been an email moment for us for the judiciary uh, i think there are aspects of the court process uh, which we can recognize such, such as relating to cause list management uh, even some kind of appearances uh, which can be done through technology uh, which have significant impacts on time costs uh, basically the entire system and this has in some ways proven itself to be an opportunity uh, and so i think uh, in in the moments that i feel certainly hopeful uh, i do think the way institutions function beyond the questions of interdepartmental coordination or, in ex- or institutional coordination the way these institutions function could definitely see a radical shift uh particularly through a shift to technologies where presence is required um basically this could have been an email i think uh, that's that, that's probably might change the way some of our institutions function but one of the things that's going to be put really to the test and this is again a developing situation we don't know how this will play out in the next few weeks it's the money issue between even between our previous episode and today we see that a lot of states have announced pay cuts for their employees uh, apart i'm not i'm not talking about the voluntary pay cuts taken by cabinet ministers and mps and mlas and so on i'm talking about state government and central government employees staring at pay cuts staring at delays in salaries and uh, looking at the fact that uh, they this might that the seventh pay commission uh, the assumptions on the basis of which the pay was fixed there may no longer be true that not only are we looking at a serious shortfall a temporary serious shortfall in revenue but also for the next foreseeable year serious strain being posed on the finances of state governments and this brings into the question will this mean a rethink of how center state finances are handled because at the end of the day and this is a point that a lot of people sometimes forget when we talk about this big giant union government sitting in delhi the big giant union government actually cannot do too many things on the ground it is the state government and it is the municipal and the panchayats which have to actually do the things on the ground that even a census needs state government employees to go around house to house to undertake the census yep. that um, whatever efforts are being made to tackle covid the bulk of it is actually being done almost 90 95% of it is being done by state government employees different states are trying different strategies and tactics in addressing it and the center can of course coordinate it can issue guidelines and so on but on the ground where the rubber meets the road is the state and if the state's finances take a hit um this is something that is going to have to be an issue that has to be addressed by the union government state governments are already saying we don't have enough money the union government will have to find some ways of getting them money to just basically be able to do their functions 
but also perhaps rethink some of the very fundamental arrangements. I think it's been criticized and accepted in different ways, but I think Jairam Ramesh has had something very interesting to say about the move yesterday to uh, suspend M- MP lads, the local area development scheme funds for a period of two years. That's about 7,000 crores. And a consistent critique of this, and a lot of people have made this critique, we can share the links afterwards, is that this MP lads scheme sort of bypasses state governments, does not relate in any uh, solid outcomes, is simply just a way to curry favor and discretionary spending and so on. But if the center were to say that we are suspending MP lads, and that's what they have done. But if they were to say, we're going to take these 7,000 crores that we're going to save over the next two years for MP lads mm-hmm. and give it to states so that they can plan their expenditures, they can come up with the projects needed to survive through this tough economic phase because of COVID, we may have seen a very fundamental rethinking of a lot of the architecture of center-state relations when it comes to money, especially in the context of fiscal federalism. We were in the midst of that debate about how much the center should spend and how much the center should, stay, uh, should uh, you know, give to the states. And it's possible that once the center realizes that there's no great use of having a lot of money allocated for defense expenditure if you don't have an economy left, and you will have to go out there to ensure that state governments are able to spend and rebuild the economy at the ground level, it may be that the center gets disabused of this notion that it can centralize spending in this country. So maybe the talk of discussion on fiscal federalism that we had, finance commission that we had, might get a completely new dimension over the next one year, uh, given the kind of stress that uh, COVID and the economic crisis that is going to follow uh, has placed on this relationship. Yes, and I think this is also a moment for us to mention that to think about the economy or even center-state relations, while it might seem esoteric uh, and it might seem uh, very uh, abstracted from the ground reality, MP lads were a critical way of distributing patronage, at least in some instances, for the political parties that the MPs belong to. It was a way to uh, to support local businesses or whatever else it was. Patronage was diverted in very many ways. And there's a whole lot of writing about how patronage operates on the ground. Uh, but it's a way to uh, to ensure that you secure vote bases for the next election when the time comes. And so to, uh, to abstract the discussion around center state uh, relations, to abstract the discussion around finances uh, without looking at... Uh, the on the ground reality of how money operates for politics uh, is i think a bit uh, is is something to be kept in mind so the debate around mp lads is not likely to be well this is the best way to deploy our resources at the moment but what is it going to do for the mp's political prospects at any point of time and this is not about a particular political party any political party in power sees the funds that are available to the mp and also to the mla so every elected representative has a certain discretionary spending budget that they have to allocate to projects of, of their uh, passion or their uh, interest or their community's need. Uh, and so to think about this money as uh, set aside or only really a question of distribution of resources, I think that's potentially problematic and must be avoided. That's right. And uh, this is also uh, going for the question of uh, money. Uh, this is also going to do something, some interesting things uh, to some of the other institutions that we uh, spoke about. Uh, and I think it's briefly worth highlighting the news media. Uh, we had this long and very fascinating discussion with uh, Asim Khan on the future of the news media and a democracy. And to be fair, the news media has played a fairly stellar role, at least in India, uh, about sort of raising questions of highlighting failures, you know, the whole issue of migrants. And there has also been news media which have played a terrible 
uh, in simply parroting the government's line and helping distract, raising unnecessary communal issues, communalizing certain issues. I thought issues. the Supreme Court expressly asked for it, Alok. <laughs> well, yes, Supreme Court made the news media work. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but 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 I think um, but I think what we're also but 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 if you speak to people who run these organizations who have to keep them going on a day-to-day basis. Uh, this is, I think, like a fairly make-or-break moment that uh, a lot of organizations, are, media organizations are going to be put under enormous stress to survive through this phase. This may be like a, I hate to use the word, but an extinction-level event, uh, what people talk about in the context of the Earth's history, which where, you know, mass extinctions drive out, uh, kill off a lot of species and very few survive. Uh, this is something that may happen to the news media. That with the tightening of advertising budgets, that with the tightening of people's purse strings, that with the space dramatically shrinking for uh, competition among uh, news media as a result, uh, we may not see a lot of uh, established media organizations survive. And it's hard to say how the chips will fall. Uh, Maybe only the deep-pocketed will survive, but who are the deep-pocketed? A lot of their uh, finances are not the most transparent. Will newspapers survive and will TV fail? Possibly, we don't know. Uh, will in, will online media uh, houses thrive and the others fail? Possibly, we don't know. Uh, will say new distribution outlets be created? Uh, I, I mean, thanks to this particular incident, I have discovered Telegram, and I realized that unlike WhatsApp, Telegram allows you to add two hundred thousand subscribers to a group. Now, that's if you look at the numbers, that's about two fifths of the audience of the largest television channels, English television channels in the country. So if there was some smart young entrepreneur who just made quality videos and shared them on a Telegram channel and charged people to be on it, uh, would that be an interesting new media distribution channel that we're not thinking of? And this is going to be such a huge disruption. And, and, and it's not true. This is not just for media. But we're talking about it, I suppose, in the context of how important it is as an institution for the future of democracy, how it's played a fundamental role in the way in which public discourse is shaped and what this particular crisis may portend for its future is something that's still very hazy and could go very bad very quickly. Absolutely. And I think we are also potentially at a point where we are seeing that the success of uh, of a particular model of media might be very divergent from its business model in the sense that what might be consumed, what might be appealing uh, to a large segment of the population or might be the best quote unquote channel for dissemination uh, might be very you know, separated or divergent or orthogonal to a valu- valuable business model. So I think we're at that point where we need to think about uh, both in parallel and in some ways uh, to see in what ways they can be brought to merge. And to your point, Alok, there are interesting experiments. If uh, lockdowns are uh, interesting experience in the experiments in the way media is uh, is sort of disseminating, there's always been community radio, which has relied on a network of community journalists. Uh, I think there are examples like 101 reporters as well as public, which do interesting experiments with the way uh, with the way news is generated and disseminated. Uh, but I think sort of questions will also be around ensuring credibility, ensuring standards, uh, ensuring ethical reporting, uh, 
because these are all questions that manifest or intersect with different kinds of news media in different ways. Uh, so I think these will be the questions for the future in terms of thinking about the crisis. And I think especially one interesting point to me, which is very attractive, is uh, the idea of community journalism. If lockdowns are to continue and we are in a situation where journalists experience difficulties in going out to report the most important stories or the most relevant stories, you are going to have to rely on some kind of network of community journalists. And the way that plays out and intersects with the media is something to think about. Yeah, that's 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 right. And I think uh, we will see new models possibly prop up. We may see some old models falling apart. And I think this will be, as always, exciting times. One last point, though, and we can't really end the discussion on uh, the series wrap-up without talking about elections. We've done a few episodes looking back at elections and a lot of them thinking, uh, trying to make sense of election results and so on. But, and maybe this is still, this is jumping the gun a little bit. There is, of course, the U.S. presidential elections, which we're not going to talk about. Uh, but in this, this is a year which, and I think COVID has chosen a very good year to uh, strike India because uh, not too many major elections are scheduled this year. Uh, we are in, uh, except for uh, Bihar, which is happening later this year in November. And early next year, we'll have uh, more uh, elections. And through the course of next year, we'll have more elections. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if this becomes an election issue. And when I say this, I mean both the crises, both COVID-19 and the economic crisis which follows. How much of an election issue will they be? And how do part, how will parties pitch themselves in the context of this crisis? Will incumbents tout their credentials? Will they talk about how well they performed or how well they fared? Uh, will the opposition get a stick to beat the ruling parties with to say that this is how you messed up, this is the consequence of all of this? I think this is something that, again, uh, it's hard to see going forward because we're still in the midst of it. But if, if, if history is any guide, there was a fascinating uh, article in Mint recently, and I just happened to buy the book, um, about how the 1918 Spanish pandemic, Spanish flu pandemic, had a fairly significant impact on India's politics. Uh, in, when I say India, I mean, of course, uh, colonial India, pre-independence India, not the modern liberal democratic state. It had a fairly interesting impact on politics, including Gandhi having apparently come down with the flu. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and even prior to that, uh, Tilak's uh, sedition charge was against the way in which the government had ha- uh, managed the 1890s, uh, had managed the epidemic prior to that. Uh, so it's, it's, it's worth thinking about. And perhaps when we sort of see uh, the, how this flu could influence politics, it uh, how this particular virus could influence politics, it may also have, uh, have a significant way in which electoral politics plays out in the next year and a half. Most certainly. And I think it's uh, both in terms of the electoral issues that come to play as well as uh, the way in which it, impacts are distributed, uh, particularly if we're coming back to what we discussed in the earlier part of this episode and the earlier part of this season, marginalization, uh, particularly if marginalized groups uh, experience and as they are, uh, experience magnified effects. Uh, this is something that could be a significant component of how uh, how electoral issues are arranged and how the arithmetic almost even works out. Uh, so, uh, so again, comes back to the point that uh, I think Alok and I keep trying to make during the podcast, which is that everything is political. It is difficult to abstract politics from social reality and social reality from political arrangements. And I think uh, that that is the thought we'd like to leave you with in some ways uh, at the end of season two. And with that, we have sort of come to the end of our time for this episode. 
Um, thank you all for tuning into this season. Uh, thank you all for listening to our episodes, your comments, your feedback, your emails of appreciation, your messages across various platforms, and of course your honest critiques when uh, needed. Uh, this has made us uh, improve work on the show, improve on it a lot better. Think about what content we want to cover, whom we want to uh, invite, and uh, what areas we should uh, be talking about, and. given that we uh, and i think i say honestly at least for myself have learned so much have thought about things very differently in the conversation due to the conversations that we've had with our most excellent and fascinating guests and thank you once again to every one of our guests who took time out to be on our podcast um, every one of them has given their time freely uh, they have shared their knowledge their wisdom their experience and their learning with us and uh, i'm sure all of our listeners have benefited from it uh, and given that uh, we sort of now want to bring this particular season to a close we are taking some time off uh, to see what path we want to chart ahead for our podcast uh, we want to definitely improve we want to work on a lot more things and uh, we will see uh, where will uh, where, where you can hear us in the future absolutely and thanks for also due to ivm who's been yes. a fantastic partner uh, we've really enjoyed working these two seasons with them uh, we also want to thank resonance studios in bangalore uh, they've been a fantastic recording partner many of our episodes the ones that you don't complain about yes. <laughs> uh, are, the, are the ones that are recorded resonance so a big shout out to ram and crew over there uh, also a big shout out to the wonderful uh, guests like alok said uh, this podcast wouldn't have been what it is without having these guests give their time so freely and so generously uh, their thoughtfulness and kindness and uh, and all of you listeners who've been uh, instrumental in making ganatantra what it is today yeah And so, on that note, uh, we will take your leave, uh, but we'll be back soon. Uh, do keep an eye out uh, on our social media feeds, and do keep an eye out on when we'll be back. Uh, we will announce in what form, shape, and manner we'll be back soon. But thank you once again for tuning in, and uh, we hope to connect with you once soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.